0: We've been in a collection of studies, this is the first mini-study of several that we're going to be in, that has to do with the secret place, one of the primary places that God has designed for us to connect with Him that will calibrate the rest of our life. It really began in January when we, we felt like, and we brought to you as a spiritual family, that we had a theme for the year, and the theme for the year was the heart for the house and hands for the harvest. And it was all about calibrating, or for many of us, recalibrating after COVID to get us back to the center line again in how we become disciples of Christ, how we see the God-given rhythms of our life begin to work the way they're supposed to so that we can experience and have all of the things that God has for us. And we're doing that in this first season by a collection of studies that really centers around a theology of place. And boy, this is, this is, it's like super simple to understand, but it's profound when you begin to get the reality of it. And that, that is that the scriptures give us three primary places that our life should revolve in and out of. Three primary places. And those three places are, first of all, the secret place that's time with God. Next is the gathering place. That's time with other like-minded believers. And it's not just like a giant kingdom social club. There's spiritual development, spiritual life flow reasons why that we need to be gathering on a regular basis with with other like-minded believers. So much so that Hebrews chapter 10 says, the deeper we get into last days, whatever you do, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together with like-minded believers. I read an article this this week while in Bolivia, and it was talking about how uh, much of our society has gone from a disposable cash uh, conundrum so businesses and, and, and organizations are trying to understand how do we approach a culture that was tight on disposable cash. And that's still true in, in many, many you know, parts of the demographic and uh, projections say we may go into some kind of a, of a recession and that will get even truer. However, now they've added a new dimension. <clears throat> and they've found this especially true after the COVID uh, pandemic is that people are now in a time. Uh, a, a time uh, crunch. And so not only do they have uh, their, their cash flow uh, and their, cash, uh, their disposable cash is challenged, but disposable time. Well, that, that's not news to a lot of people. We live busy, busy lives. What was saddening to me is when they listed the number of, of uh, organizations and businesses, types of businesses that were affected, church was on the list. I thought, it's just a reality though, right? Even among God's people, That church is now part of the disposable time, if we get time, if we can. Boy, we'd sure like to, and I'm not saying this to put legalism or condemnation on anybody. I'm saying this because as a pastor, I have a responsibility to warmly and lovingly help you to understand the Bible so that as life and culture and the times that we live in get more complicated, that we can see God's word and it will walk us straight through this. But if we get sucked up into the culture, and that's one of the things that Jesus said, one of the things Paul repeated when we get into last days, number one, don't be afraid because this is pretty scary stuff. Number two, don't be deceived. Don't let the drift because it's so subtle. Nobody's going to wake up that has accepted Christ and say, I don't think I'm going to serve Christ anymore. And I I think I'm going to start marching to a different drum. Nobody's going to say that. Little by little by little, the compass just kind of one degree at a time begins to get off. And pretty soon, church is in the disposable time Giving into the kingdom is in the disposable income, and it's no longer the priority that God set, so that God can then give his best and can bless us because we're in line with his priority. So we talked about we're talking about the secret place, we're going to be talking about the gathering place, and then finally we'll get to the public place. And that's a scary thing for some people because they're not really big on, you know, letting their light shine and witness. It's not that they don't want to. There's just a lot of reasons, some of them temperamental, and some of them just, you know, kind of the fleshly part of us where we have to get past that challenge of being afraid, especially in a cancel culture, to know the right time and the right place to share our story and, and to give witness to Christ. But that's such an essential part. It's like the outflow. So if in our physical body, if we're just eating, 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 if we're eating good stuff, but we don't ever exercise we don't get those muscles in flex, then we won't feel, we we won't feel the advantage of good input and good output, which leads to good input and good output. We won't feel that life cycle begin to flow. So we're going to talk about the public place, but we've been in this study on the secret place. And so far we've defined it this way. Today's the last day we're going to talk about it and we'll shift next Sunday. But so far we've talked about The secret place with God is a specific time and a place that you and I get to designate. And it's where we open up the deepest part of who we are in order to allow God to begin to speak and to shape and to strengthen our our deep parts so that we can experience everything he has for us. We talked also about the fact that the power of God's word is, is such an essential ingredient there. And that's where in the secret place it's activated. You you can grab it here, you can listen to it on a podcast, and all that stuff is great. That kind of gets the seed and, and get your get your mind going the right direction. But in the secret place is where it's really pulled down and planted in in deep. And that happens through study and prayer. And then last week Uh, Pastor Brandon talked about the importance of prayer and praise in the secret place and how it shouldn't be just, you know, little bookends and something we do to start and something we, oh, thank you, Lord, for giving me something good today. But prayer and praise should be part of the conversation, should fill your secret place time up. Uh, so that it it, it begins to flesh out what it means to have a relationship with God and learn to develop that. If you missed any of these, go back. You can get them online. You can get them on the podcast. Uh, If you haven't joined our 30 for 30, uh, there's these cards out there. And we're finishing up, right? We're in the last couple of days here of 30 for 30. But, But here's my strong encouragement to you. Don't let this be the last few days for you. If you did it for the first 30 days, do it again <laughs> and just keep doing it over and over to get it rooted in your life. If you haven't done it, then don't feel like, oh, I missed that. I'll have to wait till next time. No, this is next time. Grab a card and start it and let it, let it be 30 days for you. If you know somebody who already has this part of their life, then say, hey, can help me coach me in this. Help, help me learn how to do it. If you don't, grab someone else, a spouse or a fellow church member and say, let's learn this together. But I'm telling you, this is fundamental. This is foundational. I've been serving the Lord for most of my life. I've been pastoring for about 35 years. And I'm just going to be super practical and honest with you. This right here is where everything else begins. This is how you develop not a religious experience, but this is how you develop a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. If you put this thing into play, everything else will begin to flow. I can promise you that based on the validity of God's word and also based on personal experience. When you let this one get out of kilter, everything else begin, begins to shift. And so this, this is the most important one, the secret place. Well, today we're going to finish it up and we're going to talk about the power of journaling your journey with God. Or you could say it this way, the importance of writing down what God speaks to you in the secret place. And this one's a really good topic to include because a lot of people don't think that's really important. A lot of people say, yeah, you know, I do the reading stuff, but I don't do the journaling thing. And I know that's true because I hear the stories, but I also know it's true because I was one of those people for like years, right? I was in Bible college and then I'm pastoring and and I would read and study both to to minister to people, but also so my personal life, I understood the principles, but I didn't do the journaling part. And I had a friend, another pastor, who kept saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. Why? Why do I got to do it? It's not that big of a deal. You know, I'd scribble things down once in a while. But I thought it's not that big of a deal. And then the first time that I thought, okay, I'm going to do it, if nothing else, just so you stop pestering me about it. I'm going to do it for a week. We'll have coffee again. And oh my goodness, my life changed in a week. It's like journaling. It forced me to digest the conversation with God, at least the first time. It wasn't just, mm, that's good, mm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know how we do when we're listening to people? Sometimes we're doing that because it really is good. Sometimes we're doing that to kind of patronize them so they'll just finish what they're saying so we can go on to the next thing. But it's like, mm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But journaling kind of put me in a place where when the mm mm-hmm was over, I had to say something. And it couldn't just be, hey, thank, thanks for giving me something today. I had to write something down. And it pushed this deeper into my life and it forced a spiritual, or I should say, it activated a spiritual digestive system. And even though sometimes what came out was, I, I don't really know what that means. I just know it seemed to be important today. Like, I, like that's the one that jumped out. I don't know what that means, which was really great. Because in the rest of the day, I'm like, what does that mean? I've read that scripture a bunch of times. Why, did that one, why was that one so important today? And it, it really forced or it activated a conversation with God. Journaling is so, so, so important. And I'm telling you, regardless of where your devotional life is, This will jump it up a whole nother level. And today, I'm going to give you three scriptural and practical reasons why it's so important. Now, I ask you to turn to Habakkuk. We're going to look at chapter two. I'm going to grab a few verses there. That'll be the main theme of where we're going to pull from today. But first, let me give you some background because what's going on with Habakkuk, there's so much of it that reflects what's happening with us. And if we can understand that just quickly, that will highlight why this is so important to us and why it was so important to him and the actual meaningful difference it made. So Habakkuk lived in one of the most crucial times uh, during the the, the little country of Judah. And uh, let me just give you some descriptives that were happening right then. Uh, Civility was rapidly declining. They were getting along, you know, uh, civil civil. Uh, groups and uh, I'm sorry communities they always have like little differences but this was going to a whole nother level violence was becoming rampant Uh, their legal system had completely collapsed. Everybody knew there's no real justice. It's kind of who you know. Their economy was crippling the middle class and especially the poor people. Uh, The world around them seemed like everybody was at war with somebody else. And they particularly had this really powerful army called the Babylonians who were threatening to invade them in any minute. I mean, you couldn't open up the morning news cycle and find anything good. This was scary. This was weighty. This was life impacting. And you got to see it in chapter one, if you read the the short chapter of Habakkuk, because the whole chapter is him complaining. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's questioning God. He's arguing with God. In fact, he ends up accusing God of not being as faithful to his word as he said he was. You said you weren't going to leave your people. Where are you? Because all this stuff happened and you're nowhere to be found. You're not saying anything to anybody. All we hear is cricket, cricket, cricket. And he's, he's just like really frustrated. However, an amazing thing is by the time you get to the end of this really short book, it's only three chapters long, in chapter three, all of a sudden you see Habakkuk's a new man. And you're like, what happened? And I'm gonna, let me just kind of close in the middle uh, just, just momentarily. Circumstances haven't changed. But something very radical has changed in Habakkuk by the end of the chapter. In fact, let me just read you a sampling in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields are empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. Now listen, this is an agrarian society. This is a society that's depending on crops and livestock and everything that those bring to keep the society and the culture going. And he said, this is how gruesome the situation is. I mean, it's really bad. He said in verse, uh, verse number 18, he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He goes on, he says, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. I I want you to catch some things. You, You can study them a little deeper, but there's some things in there. He's not just kind of found a happy place, you know, go to your happy place. He's hopeful. He can see something that is not visible if you're just looking at circumstances and you're saying, how, why is that? And he goes on in verse 19 and says, because the sovereign Lord is my strength, not just the Lord, the sovereign Lord. He's reminded that God is in, God's not, he is paying attention. He's in control of all of this. He's the sovereign Lord and he makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. Other translations say as fast and nimble as a deer that can navigate mountains. So you have these troubles and these situations, you know, it's like a mountain in front of you and a deer deer just kind of scrambles on up and he's on the other side. And he said, you've made my feet like that. And and that's the end of the chapter, right? But, But I rarely do this, but you have to pay attention to the subscript. All of your Bibles have them. And so the subscript, all of your Bibles will say something like, for the choir director, in other words, I'm writing this last piece, this last, this last section, for the choir director, and it says, "A prayer to be accompanied by stringed instruments." And that tells you something very important that it's not just that he's making this declaration of faith, something happened has happened, and this has now become the song of his heart. He's carrying this melody inside. He's not complaining and arguing and griping and, and frustrated anymore. He's whistling a tune. When everybody else can only see negative, he's looking at something totally different. This is not just, you know, an emotional crutch. He can see something from a whole different perspective. He's looking at it from the perspective of the sovereign God. Well, here's the big question that we're after then. How does that happen? I'm not asking, you know, God's not asking us to fake something, right? Just, just pretend and, and just come on, just think good thoughts and, and just, just be confident. He's not asking us. He's literally inviting us so something can transform and we can literally, that's literally who we are. But how can that happen and what made the difference? And the answer we're going to find is right in the middle of, this, of, of the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. And really it's going to center around, around what we now know as the Protestant credo of faith. Now, you may not have ever heard that before, but I bet you most of you have heard the, the credo of faith because it's a scripture that's represented not only in the Old Testament and in the New. And this scripture reads like this, the just shall live by faith. The just are not going to be alive. And, and it says live, not just stay alive, but to mean to really live, to thrive. It's not because we see circumstances, not because we can figure it out, not because a natural, you know, we can see, yeah, this is a little rough spot, but we'll get over the top of it. But we live by something else. We're trusting in the Lord. And not only what he promised in the word, but we're trusting in what he's saying to us and how he's directing our lives and and strengthening and shaping us every step of the way. And this particular creed says, the just shall live by faith. It was so important when Habakkuk said it, and it resonated so deeply that the apostle Paul and the author of Hebrew, whomever that was, picked up on it. And repeated it four times in their messages and really postured it as the heart of Christ's gospel as it unfolded in the New Testament. Because it, it declares the assurance of God's power to provide and to protect and to guide and to preserve and to strengthen and just keep on going with the descriptives to those that will put their trust in him. But let me give you just a little one more line of contemporary history why it's so important to us. Uh, Not just because of the scriptural relevance, but because this became the driving theme in Martin Luther's Reformation. When he said, we're going to pull it out of uh, just kind of the way the church was forming at the time, and we're going to go back to scripture only. Scripture sold it. If the Bible says it, we're going to believe it. And, and this became the just shall live by faith became the driving theme for the Reformation that literally led to what we know today as the Christian or the Protestant, or let me say it so you can hear the Reformation emphasis, the protesters' church. We're the ones who said, no, we're not doing the religious stuff. No, we don't have to go to four different people. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to do all this other stuff. Jesus paid the price. The scriptures are true. We're going back to the word of God. And the just are gonna learn how to live and thrive because of their trust and their faith in the word of God and in a living Christ. That's what Martin Luther brought to us, and that's the way the Christian church, by and large, is, fu- is based on and is functioning today. Now, with, with that as a backdrop, I wanna go back and wanna say, then how did Habakkuk get this confidence? How did he come up with this? We know the Holy Spirit whispered it, the just shall live by faith. But, but how did he come up with, with, with this inflating him and lighting a fire inside? So by the time he gets to chapter three, he's like, no, it, it's, it's bad. Everywhere you look is bad, but I'm good. My trust in the Lord, God is going to do what he said. And let me just give you the short answer, okay? The short answer is time in the secret place. Now, you might not have picked up on that, but you're going to see it today. It's time in the secret place. He was spending time not just looking at the headlines, not just bowing his head for quick, you know, rescue prayers. God help us with this. Oh God, we need your help. Oh Lord, intervene here. Those are great, but he was spending time in the secret place and that's what we're going to see in Habakkuk chapter 2 starting in verse number 1. All right, here we go. I'm going to read this morning from the New Living Translation because I want it to be as plain and down to earth as we can possibly get it. Uh, And so I'll give you some other translations here and there, but but listen to this. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. I will climb up to, onto my watchtower and I will stand in my guard post. Now both of those are metaphors. It's not literally like, you know, he was climbing up into a tower and he was standing at attention, you know, on a watch. He, it, it's not that. Th- there were both metaphors for he was intentionally posturing his spiritual eyes and his spiritual ears to be open and alert to see what the Lord was going to show him. By the way, that's secret place. That's an intentional time to say, I'm pulling away from the craziness of life and I'm gonna find some time to say, Lord, I need you to talk to me today. I need you to meet with me today and show me some things. And that's what he did. And he goes on and he says, and there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Remember chapter one, complain, 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 complain. And so he says, but I'm gonna go to the secret place. And I'm going to get myself quiet, and I'm going to open my spiritual eyes, and open my spiritual ears, and I'm going to listen to what the Lord says. Look at verse 2. Then, not before, but then, once he turns his attention to God, once he says, okay, I can see everything going on up there, but I need to hear from you, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets, so that a runner can carry the correct message to others what message, this vision, so he used three different terms there, he said, here's my answer, and by the way, my answer has a message, and by the way, that message is going to paint a vision, is going, going to give you a trajectory, a sense of direction for what you need to do, he said, the vision is for a future time, it, it, uh, it describes the end, other translations say, it describes what God promises will be, how this situation will eventually turn out, okay, and so it goes on, he says, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. That's a quick reminder. We see it all over the Bible. God's timing is never our timing. Never. Our timing, you say, well, when, when, you know, how, how long is God's timing? It's always longer than we want it to be always. But not because he's slow, not because he doesn't care, not because he's making up his mind, but because he uses circumstances and situations to develop us. If he came in and rescued us and, you know, we were just his ATM or his genie and we rubbed our Bible three times and he popped up and said, what are the three things you want me to do today? There'd be no growth in us. But he's teaching us and training us how that we can rely on him and how we can work our way through situations so that we can be mature and strong and have everything that he wants us to have. It goes on and says, it will be fulfilled. It says, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it so it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at what he says next. He says, look at the proud. Now, primarily, he's talking about people that have not put their faith in God. But he's also including here people that have put their faith in God, or let me just say it this way, believers who are living pridefully. In other words, they're living like, yeah, we, we believe in God, but we, we got this. So they've got their own strategy and their own system and their own rhythm, and it's working for them right now. And even if God's rhythm's different, they're going to go with their rhythm because they, they, they think this is good. He said, look at the proud, and here's the descriptive, they trust in themselves, yeah, but what if God says something different? Yeah, I know, I understand what the Bible says, but you just need to know in our particular situation and with our life rhythm right now, see, they, they just trust in their own strategy. He says they trust in themselves, and because of that, their life are crooked. But here, here's the, the New Living Translation of the Creator of Faith, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Other translations say the just will live by faith. All right. So let's go back to Habakkuk chapter two, because I want to pull a few things out that have to do with the importance of journaling our journey with God, the importance of writing things down. All right. And so Habakkuk chapter two, the first part of verse two says, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. Now, let me just quickly give you three three definitions so that you know for sure what what these things mean because it's really important that you do the word right here literally actually means to document words on some type of material in order to preserve them for future reference there's no mistake what that means it's a very literal application it doesn't mean well you know i'm going to remember them and write them on the tablets of my heart nope means you got to have something in your hand, you got to have something that you're writing on, and you got to be, be prescribing words because later on, you need to come back to these. Kind of like when somebody says, let me give you my phone number, and you don't have your smartphone, and you're scrambling for a scrap of paper, at least old school, and you're scribbling it down, whatever you have to do, it literally means to write it. The second part, he says, write my answer, or later on, he calls it his vision. And this this occurs 35 times in the Old Testament and it always is referencing a spiritual insight or a spiritual instruction or a plan that God's laying out or the purpose that God is steering them towards. And it's always revealed through either something that is a visible revelation like a vision or a dream. Those things are legit. Uh, Or this is a word perceived. It's like something just, just speaks to you on the inside, but it becomes kind of real. You, like you, you can see it on the inside, at least a significance to it. And, and, uh, and that's what the Bible would call about God's answering, God's speaking, God's giving you a vision. Doesn't always have to be a dream or something you see. Uh, it can be something that happens on the inside. And he says to write it plainly. And this is important because it doesn't just mean slow down and write legibly. It means to, to write to write it with enough understanding so that when people look at it, they know what you mean. It's not just formulating the letters and the words. You're like, what does that say? But it means to digest it enough, to sit there long enough to say, okay, not, not only do I, I, I understand or I know what to write, but I know what it means. And I'm writing a description. In fact, uh, one translation literally says, write it clear enough to be read at a glance. So you can just grab it and someone reads it, okay, I know what that means, and they're walking on. You say, why is that important? Well, he goes on, and he says, so that a runner can, and the implication is, read it and carry the correct message to others. And scholars say that there, there's two parts of this, of what this means, and it's really important. The first part is what we write down has to be, has to be clear enough where it's easily understood and put into action. In other words, you, get, you can read it and run with it, And when it says, first of all, the runner has to be able to do it, that means that if we're the ones writing, or if we're the ones that that the message is directed to, we're the first ones who need to understand that. But it goes on a second part of the meeting is... Uh, that it needs to be clear enough where we understand it enough so that as we're moving forward in our journey, if opportunity arises, we can bring this to others and they won't be confused. Okay, now let me just sum all of it up. Write the vision, make it super plain so that we can, we can read it and we can run with it, put it into action. Listen, that's journaling. It it just is. I mean, that's exactly what was going on back then. This is journaling for us today. Not everything we capture from the Lord every day is going to be life altering. Sometimes it's just life supporting. Sometimes it's just strengthening. Sometimes a little sharpening here and a little sharpening there. When I was in Bolivia, uh, the daily reading for the day was in Luke 21. And there's a lot of things that were on my mind, including the fact I'm in a foreign country, and, and we're trying to wrestle through all the details, like what logistics here, and we got a leadership transition, and, and we're trying to understand, you know, a new concept of finances in a post-COVID era, and what are materials gonna There's a lot of things buzzing around. And in Luke 21, Jesus was talking about things that would happen in the last days to his disciples. And I've got all this on my mind and I'm trying to keep my attention on what I'm reading. And I get to verse 19 and it says, In your patience, possess you your soul. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Yeah, you, you need to do that like right now. Like get a hold of your emotions. Get a hold of all the thoughts that are trying to go 15 different directions. Grab your, your endurance. Grab your consistency. Grab your ability to stay with something that God said and to keep discipline to stay with that. Yeah, grab all of that. rein in all of your thoughts and emotions and bring them back in line so that I can talk to you. And, and it was wonderful. I did it. That's what I wrote down for the day. And I journaled it. And I said, this is what the Lord's speaking to me for today. Probably should keep an eye on this for the future as we're unfolding many different things in an ever-changing culture. And this is what journaling was all about to, to Habakkuk. And it's what recalibrated him from all the complaints. And he came back and he began to hear God say something about the faithfulness to his promise. And this, this may not happen immediately, but you stay there. God is faithful. God's working this out. He's got this in control. And he's writing this down and he's putting it into action. And by the time we get to a few chapters later, he literally completely uh, was, was a different guy. And so, uh, so, th- so this is really real. In fact, I want to give you a couple of other uh, examples. This was in 2002. Now, the- these, are- these are kind of big, bolder ones, right? Because sometimes the examples are like when I was in Bolivia, and they're little, I need this for today. I might need this for, you know, for the, for the near future. But sometimes they're bigger, And those take a little bit longer. That's what he meant where these are not always immediate application. This is for the future, but you need to hang on to it and you need to begin to capture that and let the Lord shape and and adjust some things because of where you're headed. 2002, uh, in October, I, I, I just had this bizarre dream. And I don't mean bizarre like that was weird, but bizarre in the way that I woke up and I thought... I think that dream is really significant. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not the guy that has dreams all the time. This doesn't happen to me very often. But it did happen to me, and I thought, wow, that is really interesting. And so I started just to kind of, you know, bypass it. But as I got into my Bible reading, the dream just kept coming back. And so I journaled the dream. I said, I'm just going to write this down and, uh, and say, Lord, talk to me about it if this is you. Well, that, that was about it for the day. I kind of thought about it. The next night, I had the same exact dream. I never do that. And so the second time I had the dream, I got up in the morning and I talked to Debbie. I said, sweetheart, I need to tell you about this dream I've had. I had a couple of times now. And I don't really know what it means. I just kind of know it's setting a direction. It's posturing me on the inside. And I want to say it to you because I want to see if you resonate with it or at least you'll think about it. Or if nothing else, I want to put a placeholder that I had this dream so that we can find out in the future either I got to stop eating bad pizza so late at night or... This is how the Lord sometimes talks to me, okay? So that, that's where it ended second time. Uh, third night, I went to sleep, had the same exact dream again. Woke up the third time, and there's this little principle in the Bible that says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, things are established. And I thought, nope, this is for sure the Lord. Okay, so I went back to the first journal entry, he captured some things, and said, "Okay, I'm going to be thinking about this, Lord. I don't know what it means, but here's the big, the big idea around the dream, is that Debbie and I were headed for transition, and we were doing great." I was actually on the administrative staff of a university, a Christian university, and uh, you know, had, had, had some challenging things, and I was doing pretty well, at least according to the administration and the president of the college, and you know, we were relatively happy. We knew that we were called to local church, so we knew that this was a temporary assignment, but temporary with the Lord could mean a year, five years, ten years, I mean, it's just not for all of your life. So we didn't know. We'd been there about three years. And all of a sudden, I began to realize transition's coming. Well, let I me mean, fast forward. Now, that's October. Then I get to January, and I, I haven't heard anything from the Lord. Nothing's changed in our circumstances. I'm still doing really good at the, at, at the university and still moving forward in projects. But in the back of my mind, it's like, what was that dream all about? So I remember in January, I took some time, I took a day off and uh, and I drove about 40 minutes away down to Huntington Beach Pier, took my Bible, took my journal, and I sat on the pier with a big cup of coffee, and I did my journaling for the day. And as I was reading my journaling, part of the schedule reading for the day was Genesis chapter 33. And uh, in the story of Genesis chapter 33, Jacob reconnects with his brother Esau. They'd had a really bad and a really dangerous falling out, but it had been 15, 14, 15 years since then. And now he's reconnecting with Esau and the brotherly love is cementing them back together. And Esau is so excited. He's like, come on, follow me to the house. I want to show you where I live and all that's happened in my life in the last 15 years. And this uh, this is how Jacob replied. Genesis 33 verse 13. It says, but Jacob... Replied, you can see, my lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they're driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my lord, he's talking to Esau. Go ahead, uh, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly, at the pace that is comfortable for the livestock and for the children. And I will meet you at Sare, which was their, their, their definition or their destination. Now, I can't tell you why. All I can tell you is when I read that passage, something jumped in the inside and then I had a really strong impression. When you get to your next assignment, that's that's what it's going to be like. You're going to have to start adjusting your mindset right now because your next assignment... uh, you 're going to have to allow for the pace you 're going to have to get a feel for where people are at, and you 're going to have to allow for the people to grow you're, you're, you can 't try to keep up with other churches and other ministries you can 't try to keep up with what other people say you 've got to move that move at a pace that 's comfortable to the people. I knew that like I knew my own name. I can't tell you how I knew it. The Lord just spoke it to me and that's what I journaled for the day. This is, this is the passage. This is the observation I have. And I think the application is, even though I still have no idea what this transition is, I don't know where we're going. I don't even know what, what it's all about. All I know is when I get there, this is going to be something I'm going to have to really watch. I have to reset my mind for the long game right now. I'm going to have to listen to the Lord and kind of watch people as they develop, and we'll go at a pace that's comfortable for the people so that we're not hurting, but we're helping. That's all I knew. Didn't have any idea, right? And so I kind of went home, and I was feeling a little better. It's like, and I told Debbie, hey, I think I got something from the Lord. Well, what, what about the transition? Yeah, I don't know anything about the transition, but here's what I think I got from the Lord, and that was really great. <clears throat> oh, probably uh, not quite four weeks later, I'm in February now, And uh, this time I'm at home, and I'm reading, and now we're in Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 29, and this is what the Lord's saying through Moses to the children of Israel. He said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land be desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But little by little, I will drive them out. Uh, from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your boundaries. And he lists from the Red Sea to Philistia to the desert, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes on in verse 32 and says, and you shall, but you shall not make a covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Well, you can hear that and you can think, what does that mean? And it's very relevant to what was going on with Israel. But how can that be relevant to what was going on you know, in, in our life today? All I can tell you is when I read it, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit impressed me with three things that jumped out. Three more descriptions. Number one is the next assignment was going to unfold in layers. I might be able to see something that was a larger picture, a roadmap. map but I was going to step into layer number one. And as the ministry and as people begin to grow, then the Lord would would set the timing when, when layer number two would open and then layer number three and et cetera, et cetera. And then I needed to be patient. I needed to take time to listen, not be rushing to lay foundations. Okay, here we go to the next one. I need to really listen to the Lord. The second one is that God has set parameters. I needed to know what the Lord was calling me to do what the Lord would be calling, whatever I was going to be involved in, in the next level, what it was calling us to do. And I need to stay inside the lines, no matter how much pressure, no matter how many people said, you got to do this and you got to do that. Nope. This is what the Lord's called us to do. This is who we're going to be. And the last one was that I had to be aware of other, uh, of other strategies. Now this one was talking about literally serving other gods. I didn't get that impression, I got the impression that it was other structures, other strategies, other emphasis and other ways of doing things that if I conform to those too much, that I would get all tangled up and I would lose the identity. We would lose the identity of what the Lord called us to. Now remember, this is in February. I still have no idea where I'm going. But the Lord is shaping me. He's, he's shaping my thinking. He's helping me to lean in to understand some stuff. In fact, I could go on, and some of you that have been here, you've heard me talk about the four pillar scriptures that the Lord's given me that would be a metric for us to track the maturity and the development of the church. Where are we at any point in time? And, and, uh, and, and I still have those. I look at you, you've read the lake shore that I see. You've you've heard about uh, the the, the picture of Lakeshore being a bridge, kind of a church, and why that's so important, of, of us being an oasis of healing, why that's so important. I could go on and on, but all of these were given in times of secret place. And all of these came from a kind of an obscure scripture, and like, what does that mean? And all I can tell you is at the time I had this strong impression, and I wrote it down, and I said, here's what I think the application is for today, here's what I'm observing, and then I began to let it marinate. And over a period of time, little by little by little, the Lord began to give me more and bring me back to that and, and focus on, in some things. And listen to me, I'm still doing that today. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. The just live by faith. We have to learn to be able to listen to the Lord, who oftentimes isn't talking to us just about today, but he's trying to posture us for what we need for the future. So when the Lord says, I need you to stop watching so much Netflix. Why? I'm doing my journaling, I'm going to church, I'm involved, I I don't know why. All I can tell you is the Lord begins to shape us for something that's coming. And this is where the just get to live by faith. We don't have to know all the whys and the whens, and we just trust the Lord enough to know He's posturing us so when we get to a certain point, that one thing that He promised us that we thought was going to come from this direction, and all of a sudden comes from this direction, we're like, oh, we didn't see that one coming. Yeah, but He did. And this is what journaling's all about, why it's so important, all right? So let me give you, it's going to get super practical and we'll move a little quicker. Three scriptural and practical reasons why journaling is absolutely important to us. Reason number one, because journaling presses God's message deeper into our heart that results in greater revelation. And again, I, I told you, uh, had I not understood this principle, I probably would have dismissed Exodus and Deuteronomy like, what does that have to do with anything? That's weird. Except for I, I understood some things. And when it, when it resonated that morning, I wrote it down. And I didn't act on it right away. I didn't go out and start buying goats and, you know, and say, I think we're supposed to move to a farm. And I didn't do any of that stuff. I said, all I know is this scripture, I think this is what it means. And I just began to meditate and I began to resonate. I brought it back to the Lord. And this is exactly what the Bible says. In fact, Moses established this kind of this, uh, this scribal tradition Uh, and you'll read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Listen to this. He said, when he sits on the throne as a king, so he's talking about in the future when Israel begins to have kings, and they did, when he sits on the throne as a king, this king must copy for himself the body of instruction on a scroll, that's journaling, in the presence of the Levitical peace. priest. He must always keep a copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions. Well, how strange is that, right? Kings have big responsibility. They got a lot going on every day. They have people to write things down for them. They have assistants and secretaries and and people that are organizing their schedule. But God says, no, when it comes to this, I got to have you write it down. You have to be the one to capture what the Lord is saying to you. You've got to write that down. And then I need you to revisit it. I need you to be reading it every day. I need you to stay with this thing because that's how you're going to, number one, learn to fear the Lord. Not like I'm afraid to make a mistake, although he's a fearsome God, but we learn to respect and reverence God knows what he's talking about. And He's trying to shape us. We trust Him. When He says, go this way, we go that way. When He says, come back this way, we come back the- We don't always know why, but we do what He says to do because He's got this plan that's unfolding so we can fear the Lord and so we can learn to walk in His ways. So that's reason number two. Here's reason number, uh, reason number one. Reason number two, journaling God's message allows you to remember, to rehearse, and continue in what God has spoken. Again, back to Habakkuk chapter two, it says, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that the runner can carry the correct message to others. Uh, This would be a good little ad that I can give you. When it says, so the runner can carry the correct message, that's in what's called the imperative tense, which means this is not a suggestion, nor is it a one-time thing. So it's not like, well, remember that one time I journaled? No, it means we're supposed to be doing this over and over. Keep writing what God's saying and keep carrying what God God's saying as a message into your heart. He goes on, and he says, because this vision is for a future time, it describes the end. In other words, God's ending, how God wants it to turn out, and it will be fulfilled if it seems slow in coming. Wait patiently for it. Again, that's in an imperative tense. That means to wait and keep on waiting and keep on waiting and keep on waiting and keep on waiting as long as it takes. Pastor, how long is it going to take? A lot longer than you thought. Did you know that there are some things that I have in my journal, and I'm not lying to you, there's some things that I have in my journal uh, from years past that I've been waiting and contending on the Lord for about 50 years now. I'm not lying. And, and I've watched them progressively unfold. They weren't things that were going to happen that were, you know, this one event. They were a progression of where the Lord promised that he was going to take me and some of the things that God was going to use me in and for. And it was this 50, I, I didn't know it was going to be 50 years at the time. I thought, you know, next year, I'm excited. But 50 years later, and the Lord's had this, and I've been watching it unfold different pieces of the thing, and something else will happen. I say, yep, that's 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 part of what he said. So that's another piece of the puzzle, and I'm just watching the puzzle be be unfolded. I've got a few others that I'm carrying that are about 25 years. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's easy. That took discipline. That that took me understanding that when Habakkuk said, even though the vision tarries, wait for it because it will come to pass. You know, the only way that something God promised you won't come to pass is if you quit, is if you walk away. But if you'll stay there and if you'll wait for it and you'll tarry and you'll keep coming back to it, God is always faithful to his word, to his promise. He will do what he said he would do every single time. And this is, this is something that we learn to develop. In fact, don't turn there, but in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 is kind of a key verse. It says, he's, uh, Moses, uh, Joshua's writing what God spoke to him. It said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that is written. Let me just stop. So it says it's got to be in your mouth, it's got to be in your mind, and then you've got you to be able to picture something. That's a process. That's a process of understanding. When it says it has to be in your mouth, that's when you first capture it from the Lord. Lord, this is this is what I hear you saying today, and you write it down, and then you meditate on it. Which the Hebrew word meditate means to mutter or to mumble. Sometimes you're just saying it over and over to yourself, and well, you're praying about it. You're bringing it back to the Lord, and all as you do that, Psalm one nineteen says the entrance of God's word brings light. All of a sudden, the lights start coming on. You see something you've never seen before. By faith. And as you begin to observe to do it, it goes on and says, For then, and, I, and, and the tense is emphatic, for then and only then you will make your way prosperous. And then and only then you will have good success. <clears throat> You've heard me say before, it's not that as Christians we don't do the right things. Most of the time we don't do the right things long enough so that they'll work. We get impatient. We get discouraged, and so we start to give up. But this is how we need to learn our journaling, and then meditating on that, revisiting that, drives it deeper, keeps, keeps chewing on it, massaging it, so that it keeps opening up, so we can understand what God says. In fact, this principle's all over the psalm. I won't take time to read it, but I just wrote down, just just off the top of my head, I wrote down about six or seven uh, different ones, and then I found another couple in Isaiah and another one in Timothy. It's all over the Bible that the Bible says, meditate on this, meditate on this. When people are angry at you, meditate on the Word of God. When people are disappointed in you, meditate on the Word of God. When you feel discouraged and distracted, meditate on the Word of God. It's coming back and reminding yourself, yeah, but God promised. Yeah, but Lord, this is what you said. Lord, Lord, but this what you, you, you spoke to me on that, that's meditating. And it comes as you journal, as you understand the word of God. Here's number three, and we'll finish right here. Journaling preserves you to be used by God to, be, to encourage and equip and edify others. Remember that it said that you write the vision so that you can read it and understand it, but then so you can run with that message and you can bring this to other people. And it really, you, you can't grab it in one shot. You, you've got to look at it and, and you got to be regurgitating. I'll, I'll tell you one, one, of the, one of the best disciplines that I've, that I've learned and I'm still learning over the years is to take some of the things that I'll capture in my journaling. <clears throat> sometimes one thing will just kind of reverberate for days with me. Or sometimes it'll be whatever I got that day. But just as I lay my head on the pillow at night, I used to have a hard time going to sleep because my mind would just be everywhere. I mean, I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff, right? Crazy, crazy thoughts. Like I can't even control them. It's a ping pong machine. I'm just kind of watching on the inside, but it's keeping me awake. But let me tell you something that's really helped to ground my mind is do what the psalmist said. He said, when I lay my, my head on the pillow at night, I meditate your word. And I go back to the thing that God spoke to me that morning. Sometimes my journal will be on my nightstand and I'll read it just before I go to bed to refresh my memory. What did God say? And what, God, what does God mean by that? And, my, and I, just, I just go to sleep at night thinking about that and, and looking, you know, and, and understanding that it will, if, if he meant this, then it could be that and the possibilities. And I drift off into a deep sleep. Most of the time when I do that, I wake up and I, and I feel like I'm already in a conversation with God. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm super spiritual. I'm saying that because that's the way this stuff works. We intentionally learn to meditate and mutter and our eyes begin to pop open. Again, the last one, uh, journaling prepares you to be used by God to encourage and equip others. Jeremiah was another one of the prophets and uh, he had a rough time. They actually called him the weeping prophet because it seemed like everything he said, the people booed him down. The people rejected him. I mean, the culture was so hard and and so adamant against what the Lord was saying in that day that Jeremiah would say something. He he was even met with violence. And listen to what Jeremiah 20 uh, verse 8 and 9 says. He says, so these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say, that's it, I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name again. Listen to this. His word burns in my heart like a fire it's like a fire in my bones. And listen to this. He said, I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it anymore. Now here's what's interesting. Most Christians get worn out trying to get it out. Right? Oh, I don't want to say anything. Don't ask me to say anything here, Lord. No, I don't want to speak up. And we're worn out trying to get past the emotion to share a little bit. Jeremiah was worn out because he's trying to hold it in because he doesn't want the backlash and he knows this is not going to be received and he doesn't want that. So he's worn out trying to hold it in. Again, you say, how in the world does that happen? How do you get to where you're legitimately like that? That's really what's going on. Not like I'm pushing it because I know I should. And there's a time and a place for, you know, stepping out in discipline and doing what the Lord says. But how do you get to the point where, man, I just want to share it so much. I get worn out from the filters that I have to put on all the time. How do you get to that place? And you find it a few chapters earlier in Jeremiah in in chapter 15. Listen to what he says. He said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They're my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. Other translations say, because I finally realize I belong to you. And you're the God of heaven's armies. In other words, nothing too strong for you. You can do whatever you need to do. This all has to do with the importance of journaling. The more time we spend in the secret place absorbing the word of God, it's not about quantity. I read 47 chapters today. Well, that's wonderful if the Lord was speaking to you. I only got to read about a half a chapter, Pastor Gill. That's wonderful if the Lord was speaking to you. It's about taking time to study the scriptures and then capturing what the Lord said, writing it down and meditating on that, talking to the Lord about, it. Lord, that, that's crazy. What, what does that even mean? I, I mean, I have a sense of what I think you're saying, but man, you, have, you have to elaborate that, pull that out so I know how that applies to my life. And, and the more that happens, the more it gets in your heart. And listen to me, when you engage like that, it'll ignite a fire in your heart. You won't have to say, I've got to remember this. You, you won't be able to forget it. You'll be driving to work like, what does that mean? But what did he, because you engaged a conversation. It's real to you now. It's not just grabbing an inspirational quote of the day and holding on to it, you know, for less than 10 minutes and then you forget it. It's engaging the conversation. God is speaking to me. This is what he said is important to me. And I drive away in my car, headed to my first appointment saying, Lord, what does that mean? That's meditating. Lord, I wrote that down this morning. I'm, I'm not sure how to apply that. I know, I know you meant it. I can feel it. See, it starts a fire kindling. And the more you meditate on that, the fire begins to grow, and, and the, the hotter the fire gets, all of a sudden you'll find yourself in an opportunity, and somebody will say something, you'll say, you know, that's interesting you should say that, because I was just spending time with the Lord this morning, and I captured something in my journal, and, and here's, I, I kinda think that might mean that, no way, you know, that, that's really great, because I can see that this happens all the time. It's like normal life for us, if we're following the plan of the Lord. And you'll get to the place where the fire is burning so strong, that the storms of what's happening in the culture can never put it out. Your fire just keeps glowing. You can feel the warmth of God's presence. You can can see the light of the pathway he's shining for you, and you'll find that God is faithful to do what he promised he would do if you'll stay in there and you'll let let the Lord unfold his promise the way he planned to. Hey, listen, uh, again, if you haven't done the 30 for 30 or if uh, if you're not familiar with journaling, if there's such an easy descriptive on that card, pick one of those cards up. Take a few minutes. I wouldn't say this if it was just, a, you know, a little gimmick. This is life-changing. I'm telling you, this is life-changing. Your life will never be the same. This is life-changing. And so take this take this time and then follow the, you know, the basic journaling that we do, a you know, SOAP acronym. We, we, we're we looking for the scripture. What's the scripture that jumps off the page? And then what can you observe about the scripture in its context, in its story, and then what, what does it seem like the Lord's saying to you on the inside about how that might apply? doesn't mean that it's going to be dialed in every time. It could be just a broad, general direction. And then you end with a prayer, Lord, thank you so much for giving me this today. I don't even know what it means, but I know something was burning in my heart. And so I'm going to be listening to you and I'm going to be thinking about it, letting you unfold this to me. I'm telling you, this is the way God shows up in a living relationship. No more religion, no more reading the Bible so that I don't feel guilty anymore. And I think maybe God's smiling. This is how we open up conversations and God begins to walk with us every day throughout all the stuff. It works, it works, it works every time. And I'm praying that the Lord would help you guys to step in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we got to spend with you in the Word. Thank you that throughout our worship today and throughout the study of the Bible that there were these little moments of aha in each of us. Sometimes we may not have recognized that was you talking, but it was a little nudge, it was a little tug, and it was a truth that kind of lit up for just a moment that gave us an opportunity to to grab that and to fan that flame. And Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, and I pray that as we leap today that you would help us get this down in us. Don't let us overlook this most foundational, most basic understanding about how to spend time with you in this secret place. Give us the courage to open our heart up and be absolutely vulnerable and honest with you and then speak to us at the deepest part of who we are and change and transform and strengthen us as you protect and provide and you guide all of our lives. We thank you for all of that and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, stand to your feet. Let's close with a worship song today. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.